0: Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. I am so stoked for you guys to hear this episode this week. I got the honor of interviewing one of the kindest human beings I believe I have ever met. Her name is Kaylee Andrews, and I'm so stoked because I get to be roommates with her now in Nashville, and it's been so much fun. But for today's episode, we talked a lot about Kaylee's experience with trauma therapy, doing EMDR. She's actually an emergency room nurse, so it was really interesting to be able to talk to her about what it's like being as empathetic of a person as she is in that kind of environment and what that has looked like as far as her relationship with her body goes. We talk about that and a handful of other things including what it's like right now during the pandemic as a nurse and how we're getting through that but yeah so you guys enjoy. How are you doing? How's it going over there? Um, It's going well. I am
1: unpacking and moving into my new house, so.
0: Yes, yes, Yes. I love it. How is Nashville? I know you just moved from St. Louis. Yes. Okay. Yeah,
1: Nashville's great. Um, Obviously I can't really go and do anything and it's
0: very rainy right now, but. Well, that is amazing. I am very excited for your new move with your two wonderful dogs. What are their names? Leopold and Piper. Leopold. Yeah. That's super cool. Kaylee, yeah. thank you so much for wanting to be on my podcast. I'm so excited to talk about this with you because I know that you've done a lot of work in this area. and We've had some really cool conversations just about both of our processes with this in the past. So I'm excited yeah. to, to talk and see what all it looks like right now. Yeah, thanks for asking me to be on. I'm really excited. Okay, so I am going to start with the question that I... And planning on asking everybody, and that is to describe the relationship that you have with your body.
1: Okay, um, that's a very good question, and a year ago, I would not have known how to answer that, but here's what a year of trauma therapy does. Um, <laughs> I would say it's a work in progress, which I believe will be the case for my whole life, um, but... Right now, I, I think we're communicating really well. Like if I think about my body and my, I don't know, in a more like abstract way, I think that I'm listening to my body a lot better than I used to. And I'm more aware of my body because a lot of my issues, I would say, stem from just dissociating. And so there was a time like, Most of my life, I would say that I wasn't even necessarily aware of my body or what I was feeling. Um, And now I'm able to like notice what I'm feeling and just like, I guess, experience it. So I'm more present um, than I have been in a long time.
0: Uh That's very, very cool. You say that about a year ago, you wouldn't have known Mm -hmm. how to answer. Yeah. What was it like back then? Like what was, what's the biggest... I guess, differences that you notice to where now it's so different?
1: Man, it's so hard because I'm like right on a, right on a year from when I um, started trauma therapy, like almost exactly. Um, so I've been doing a lot of thinking uh, about what it was like before. And it's so crazy because I, I don't know, it's really hard to explain how it was before because I just wouldn't feel my feelings and I wouldn't, Like, I would either shove them down really far, really deep, and just ignore them. Or I would just, like, escape, like, dissociate in moments where there were, like, really strong feelings. Or anything that, like, was traumatic or difficult, I just wouldn't let myself feel it. I wouldn't stay in my body for those feelings. So, um, now it's just, like, I'm able to feel... My emotions and my feelings, and I'm able to like hold them instead of trying to like shove them down or escape from them. I'm able to like sit in them and experience them, which is really, really hard because I have like I still have those tendencies where I I really want to just escape or numb. Um, But I'm learning to like notice when I want to do that, and then being able to stay um, in my feelings. Uh, versus escaping because I wouldn't I really wouldn't let myself feel things and for a long time I couldn't even tell um, the difference between my feelings and someone else's feelings because I'm really empathetic so I will I will feel other people's feelings that I'm around and I wouldn't before I started therapy, I wasn't able to even tell if like I was the one that was angry or it was the person that was talking to me that was angry. Like I couldn't differentiate um, whose feelings they were. And so that's a huge difference too, where I'm able to be like, okay, I can tell that this person I'm around is really anxious right now, but I'm not anxious. And even being able to have that like boundary in my brain of like, that's not my feeling has been so freeing and, like, really powerful. Um, just in the, in the contrast, when I look back even a year or more ago, like, how, how different that is now that I'm able to sit there and, and think, okay, am I feeling this or is the other person feeling this? And if I'm not feeling this, like, what is my role in this situation? How can I be there for that person without kind of taking over me
0: yeah okay that's really interesting to me um especially knowing your profession which we'll get more into in a second but what what was it a year ago like what do you think got you to that point like was it stuff from growing up or just stuff in the world or like what kind of made you feel like you had to shove away your feelings and not feel and disassociate Mm. and whatnot?
1: So that's really hard to answer because I I can't like pinpoint one moment or even a series of moments growing up where where that could have been communicated to me, where like trained into me, where my feelings like weren't for feeling or that, you know, everybody else's feelings mattered more than mine, so I would just ignore my feelings. It's really hard to pinpoint at least in my upbringing with my family, um, I would say a lot of things contributed to it from um, growing up in evangelical churches. Um, there's a lot of messaging that tells us our bodies are bad, our feelings are bad, our desires are bad. And so I think that communication paired with just my personality as it was and as it is, those combined together kind of just was a perfect storm where I was already prone to being super empathetic and focusing on other people's feelings. And then I was getting this message from, you know, a large part of my life in church that my body was bad, my feelings were bad, and that my desires were bad. And I think that just kind of combined really hurt my relationship with my feelings Um, and my just body as a whole. Um, and then it doesn't really help either that I went into a profession that pretty much requires me to forget about myself when I'm at work. Um, so I'm an emergency room nurse. Um, and like one of the things I remember in nursing school that we were taught is like, we check our feelings at the door. We check our feelings, we check our emotions, we check our Um, opinions at the door we walk in and uh, like we are there to take care of someone else and that means that we can't really think about ourselves in that moment so that's like a big message that I got even in nursing school to kind of check myself at the door Um, and so I think all of that together kind of contributed to the place I got to last year, which was like my breaking point. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, that's so interesting to me. So, so I was, um, I was also raised in somewhat of like an evangelical church world. And I remember a lot of those messages playing a big part in my life as well. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about like what those messages were and what, what that looked like for you? Yeah.
1: So One of the big messages that I still think about a lot is um, that uh, that verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Um, That was like, I feel like an evangelical just catchphrase almost it got to the point where that was brought up a lot. And for some reason that verse was brought up, but then the verse of like, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life, like that wasn't talked about um, as much. And so that verse and that kind of whole ideology behind that, that, you know, your heart is wicked, therefore your feelings are wicked. And and so like, you shouldn't listen to your feelings. Um, that was a huge message that was in, in the church when I grew up. And then also just purity culture, led to and like modesty that whole movement um, led to me feeling really I'm like a sense of shame about my body and that like my body wasn't good or like holy or sacred but that my body was like a stumbling block and needed to be covered and so it, I don't know there there were so many different just messages that just continually like regardless of how I guess overt they were they were still there even in their subtlety that like I couldn't trust myself in a way and just the the concept behind like sin and sin nature and that like ultimately you're told in a lot of these churches that you're bad and that you're you know your wants and desires are bad and like you always have to check, okay, if I'm feeling this way, is it because I'm feeling this way? Is it because it's something God wants for me? Is it temptation? So I feel like it just, all of those message toge- messages together kind of created this divide, I guess, between myself and my body and my feelings.
0: That makes so much sense to me. And it's so damaging and scary and like, isolating as a little girl just growing up because I know at least from my experience it feels like uh, when we're little I think my most recent therapist actually said this to me recently was like um, when we're little we aren't looking for how the world works or we aren't trying to like learn how it Mm -hmm. works we're just told how it works and we just take that as the way it is Mm -hmm. and that's so that's just so damaging I think, to our relationships with ourselves, especially when there are messages like that and, and confusing messages too, which is just like, it just breeds so much shame and so much self-hatred and distrust in who we are. And it's, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. Um, was there a moment when you decided that you, st- or was there a moment when you started to question these things?
1: Yeah, there was, there were a lot of moments. I think there were, there were some moments growing up that I, I kind of was like, this doesn't feel right, or this doesn't seem right. I don't like this. Um, and then as I was in college, I think I started to really question just the the whole mindset of, like, the heart is deceitful. Like, what if our heart is telling us to, like, fight against injustice? Or what if our heart is telling us, you know, something really important and really true? Then how is that deceitful and so in college I started really having issues with that whole idea of our hearts being evil and then also started really just thinking about and processing um like modesty culture and how damaging that was and um and then that kind of I was still in an evangelical university so it was hard to really like break out of those ideas. Um it wasn't necessarily a safe place to like challenge them. But I remember just thinking about it a lot and then after I graduated I moved away. Um, I moved to Texas and I lived by myself for a year and I didn't know anybody there. So it was like starting fresh and it kind of gave me the opportunity to wrestle with a lot of the things that I was taught growing up. Um, That's where I kind of started to, uh, one of my friends kind of described it as like sitting down with a suitcase that has been packed for you your whole life. And then you open it up and you kind of take out everything from the suitcase. And you're like, okay, what do I actually want from this that has just been given to me my whole life? Do I want any of it? Like, and then it was kind of my um, my time of deconstructing everything that I had been taught and everything that I had been encouraged to believe my whole life. It was a really hard year. Now, looking back, it was definitely not the most difficult year of my life, but it was a very hard year. Um, I was very depressed. I was angry a lot. I had a lot of anger towards God. Um, I had just a lot of frustration. And so I spent that year kind of really deconstructing everything that I had learned. And I was able to break down and start building back up like my idea of faith and what I believed about a lot of things but I did not succeed in like reconnecting with my body I did not um start really understanding how bad the relationship with my body was during that time I tried to go to therapy once and I quit after the first time (laughs) I was like (laughs) "I I I didn't connect with the therapist Ah. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this was exhausting. I had, Am I going to have to do this again with another therapist, like a whole get to know you session? I was like, this is too much. I can't do it again. So I didn't go back, which was, you know, fa- fast forward several years later, <laughs> I should have stuck with it. But, you know, it's okay. Oh, it's very
0: relatable. <laughs> yeah. You got to get to the right therapist. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I can just imagine like what it felt like. I guess like you're saying, going through that suitcase. Mm -hmm. Because I know from my experience when I went through, um, I guess what we call like my deconstruction phase is, it just felt really, really scary because it was like, here's this thing that I used to believe with my whole entire heart that is just how life is and how like the way the world works. And it's just these like universal truths Mm -hmm. that seem to be these things that seem to be these universal truths. Because... I think like what's really attractive to a lot of people in evangelical Christianity is that they offer a lot of seemingly like answers. They offer a lot of certainty, a lot of like just answers to questions that we all ask. When I realized that the moment I started actually like asking more questions or like challenging them was the moment when I was told like You can explain anything in the way in the Bible if you ask too many questions. Like just, just stay teachable and don't be a skeptic and all this stuff. And it, it just felt really lonely in that space for a while, and it felt really scary. It was like a like a grieving process of like, just kind of letting the stuff that I didn't want to hold anymore fall away. And I know that I'm still in that process.
1: Um, Oh yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I figured. I just don't want to tell you. Say it. It's it's
1: a. Lifelong process. Like I feel like we're constantly deconstructing and reconstructing our beliefs about everything. Um, and I don't think, at least for me, I don't think I'll ever arrive at a place where I'm like, okay, yep, I'm done. Like I know what I believe a hundred percent, and I'm super confident in it. I know what I, you know, think about everything. Like we're always learning, and um, and I think that's something interesting I've thought a lot about with. Um, church and my experience with church and just that's there's that sense of certainty when you hold um, these certain beliefs like where do you go when you die and all this stuff like there was this attempt at giving answers to everything kind of like you said because sitting with uncertainty is really uncomfortable sitting with questions and realizing there may not be an answer is really scary And not having something to explain life and death and, you know, everything good and bad that happens, it's just really terrifying. So that's been a really interesting journey for me to be able to be, because I'm, I'm super curious. I am so curious. I love to know as much as I can about things and people and life, and I I love having answers. I want to know why all the time, like all the time. Um, (laughs) And so just being able to get to a place where I can sit with my questions and be like, I may never have an answer to this. It's been really hard, but it's been so freeing to be, to learn to be okay with not knowing. I'm still not great at that. Um, My therapist on a regular basis is like, Kaylee, we don't know. And I'm like, but why? We should be able to know. Can we just, like, have the answer in front of us? Um, yeah. But that's been really important in my journey as well, as just learning to hold my questions and be okay if there's not a good answer or a clean answer or, you know, a solid, sure answer.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I relate so much to that because I guess I'm in the same boat with you as I just want to know why and I want to know what, and I want to know what to do. That's like at the end of every session during treatment with my therapist, I was like, okay, so uh, what do I do now? Okay, so now what? Yeah. So now what do I do? <laughs> and it ended with me just throwing pillows at her because she never told me. Yeah. So <laughs> that was the conclusion of that. But it is just scary not to know. But mm-hmm. you say that like your, your experience and your journey in Texas didn't lead you to a good relationship with your body. what was what was kind of the process to f- get there? What did that look like to kind of start going to I know the current therapist you have now. Um, and what what kind of brought you to that point?
1: Oh gosh, a lot of things. Um yeah, so I I don't know, in Texas, I knew I was depressed. I knew I was having a really hard time. But I wasn't ready, I guess I wasn't ready to actually get help with it. Um, I wasn't ready to talk to somebody about it. Um, I tried and obviously didn't keep going. Um, And then after a year in Texas, I moved back to California. And I started working at like my dream job, um, which was... At an emergency room as a nurse, um, it was a trauma center, um, and I, I started working at this job that I had wanted for a really long time. I worked there for three years um, before moving on to another job, and I think my time there, a lot of my trauma is from that time, um, just with everything that you know, you see as an ER and trauma nurse. Um, And, and then some stuff happened within my family that kind of made me realize like I was not coping as well as I thought I should, um, or as well as I needed to be on my own. And, um, I started going to therapy for, uh, like family stuff first. Um, and I went to not my current therapist, but I went to, um, what was called the Employee Assistance Program, which they offered free therapy for all of their staff at the hospital, which was awesome every everywhere should have that, um, whether they're a hospital or not. Um, mm-hmm. But I started going there for for some stuff I was really struggling with. primarily, it stemmed from my inability to differentiate my own feelings from other people's feelings um, within my family and certain relationships in my family. so that's where I started learning how damaging that was that I just let everybody's um, feelings kind of pile on top of me and that I wasn't like all my feelings and emotions were being smothered in that, and I wasn't able to actually know what those were. And so that therapist was really helpful. She made me journal my feelings every day. she made me um, she gave me a uh, feelings like chart with. A million different feelings on it because she would ask me so do you know what you're feeling and I was like I don't know how to tell you what it is like I don't know the word for it I don't know how to I don't even know how to feel it I don't know what my feelings are Um, so we did a lot of work with that and just being able to in certain relationships sit there and I would actually write down if I was struggling with um, you know communication with someone in my family or having trouble with certain emotions um, about like whatever situation, I, she encouraged me to sit there and define my role in the situation and the other person's role in the situation. So if one of my family members was really upset about something, my role and my, my place in that situation wasn't to be be the one, that, I wasn't the one that was upset. So where did I fit? And like, how can I be supportive to that person versus just taking on all their feelings and like becoming their feelings in a way. Um, so that she was super helpful. Cause I didn't even know, I don't think I realized to the extent that I was holding other people's feelings and emotions and that I was holding everybody else's and I wasn't able to hold my own. Um, so that was, that was like the first step I would say. And then things got really bad at work. Um, at least for me and my coping strategies, they were starting to fail. And that's when I started to see my trauma therapist.
0: Yeah. I can, I can only imagine like with what you do and you're seeing people that are experiencing these kind of different traumas and whatnot every single day. And then having that, be something that's like difficult to differentiate your feelings versus their feelings. I just imagine that that is a lot to, to work through and to hold.
1: Yeah, it's, it is a lot. It's really hard to, um, to explain what that's like and just the, just the contrast between like you could be taking care of one person that is you know dying and then you have to go to see your other patients that are pretty stable and are going to be okay and to be to have to like set aside that person that you just you know couldn't save you have to set aside all those feelings of grief and anger and frustration and like all of that pain to go see this other person that's going to be okay and have to just put on your brave face and like you know act like everything's fine and then just not having healthy coping strategies in those times just really caused me a lot of pain because I don't think there was a lot of like my workplace was amazing I felt really supportive by supported by my bosses and everything um but there wasn't really anyone that was living out like dealing with trauma in a healthy way so I didn't really have an example of anybody to look to or follow when I started to really be affected by everything. Mm. All I had was my disassociation that I did for my whole life. Like, that was my go to um, coping strategy. And I just, that's what I did. Like, I would face something really traumatic and I just would exit my body and go on autopilot. And I did really well. I, you know, when I'm, dissociating i make really good like brain decisions like as far as like i know i need to do this next i need to do this this is what's you know in the moment in a trauma like i can work quickly and think quickly because i'm just ignoring all of my feelings and escaping all of my feelings so going on autopilot works in the moment but then i would end my shift and whatever happened i would go home and you know take a shower eat and then I would go right to bed because I'd be exhausted and so I never let myself process what I just experienced I would go to sleep on it and that um my trauma therapist kind of explained it as that kind of locked it in my brain in a way that I just hadn't processed it and it just sat there and so all of these things you know piled on top of each other um to the point where a year ago I was starting to get really I guess stressed I felt like it was just stress and then I I thought okay I'm feeling kind of burnt out I went on a vacation and thought that would fix everything because you know it had in the past and I came back to work and started working again and I felt worse and I was like, this is not good. I just went on a week vacation. I should be feeling refreshed and, like, ready to get back. And I was having really bad sleep. Like, I couldn't sleep more than, like, two hours at a time Oof. ever, even on my days off. And I would ha- be having nightmares um, and, and like, just feeling really anxious. I would have panic attacks while I was driving, I started having panic attacks while I was at work. And the day I realized I needed to do something and I needed to talk to somebody was the day I walked into work and immediately had a panic attack, like instantly. But the way I deal with panic attacks or the way I did in the past was I would dissociate like immediately. As soon as I started having a panic attack, I would just stop. I would, I don't know, I would just exit my body like I would just start floating or something I don't know um and I didn't realize at the time that that was dissociating I just thought oh I'm really good at like getting myself out of panic attacks and that's not true I just was really good at like escaping my body and that's when I was like oh wow something's
0: really bad I need to talk to somebody about it oh my gosh that sounds like such a just such a process and a journey and like that's just like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what things have you found helpful? Like, like what does it look like going to this, um, your trauma therapist mm. right now? Like what are, what are ways that she's kind of helped you work through these things, not in a dissociative way, but like, what are like some more like non maladaptive strategies that she's helped you with in these situations? That's a good question. Um,
1: we started with EMDR, so i did I went through a lot of um, processing through different traumas that really affected me and things that I was just really holding in my body and not not dealing with or processing with uh, effectively. And so that was really helpful. I highly recommend EMDR. There's a lot of other um, effective therapy um, techniques and stuff for trauma. So like whatever works for people is great, but I had a really good experience with EMDR. And then, um, something that she really encouraged me to do, um, is to like sweat, which sounds odd, but she said for me and like people who are holding a lot of trauma in their bodies, it doesn't even have to be like a workout or anything, but like for example, I would just go out and hike, and if it's hot enough outside, you could just be walking <laughs> and you sweat. Yeah. Um, and so she said sweating was really good because um that your it helps your body kind of get rid of this built up adrenaline. And for me because I was going to work every day and just constantly being re-traumatized, I had this huge build up of um, adrenaline in my body that was just constantly keeping me at A very heightened state and for me to like get rid of that sweating was like one of her biggest things for me so I did yoga which oh my goodness it was going to yoga one of the first times I went I cried because it was the first time I'd felt like I was back in my body for for years Um, so yoga has been really important and helpful I do like mindfulness exercises. Um, I use an app called Headspace. I don't, there's like a bunch of apps. I know Calm is another app that um, has some mindfulness and meditation. Um, I just used Headspace because it's like the one I downloaded. Um, And that's been super helpful to just sit. And that's another thing. The first time I meditated and like did mindfulness I cried because I sat there and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm here. I feel myself like in my body and I'm present. And this is like so weird. It feels like those those moments when I first started those um, practices, they felt like I was coming home in a way, but it was like I was dipping my foot back in home, and then I, you know, I would. Dip myself back in and then I'd be like all right I'm gone again like it would just you know it takes practice to actually stay in your body and then writing a lot like my therapist every session tells me keep writing because I am a very I'm not a super external processor so most of my processing is when I write um, because I just I don't I don't do the best when I'm talking out out loud like when I'm processing things I have to really like think about it ruminate over it and then when I write it down it helps me kind of formulate like a conclusion or it helps me see what my thoughts are on paper and that's helped me a lot too and then my dogs to be honest have been really important in my journey just because they I mean, they've been there the whole time. When I've lived alone, like, I, they're there. And so they have been a really helpful presence as well. Just even petting a dog is, like, very grounding. Mm. So that's been really helpful, too, is having them around. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. That's some really, really good stuff, especially, like, I don't know, what you mentioned about when you first did yoga or when you did yoga and realized that you were feeling a part of your body and it bringing you to tears. I had such a similar experience with that. Somewhat recently, it was in the past few months during treatment, because they had, um, until the lovely COVID happened, uh, yes. <laughs> they had a yoga instructor come to to um, the treatment center every week and do trauma-sensitive yoga with us. And Oh, that's great. It was great, and I just remember, like, getting really frustrated because I felt like I just didn't have patience for this. I was too (laughs) emotional. I was too like, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to sit and deal with it Mm -hmm. because like my thing is like running, which is, does the opposite thing. Like it, it can be super mindless and I don't have to, it's like kind of my goal in that is to ignore my body. to just like push through it and get this done and just escape for a little bit. But with yoga, like it forces you to notice everything. And I remember getting so mad and I, I just started like, I remember there were a few weeks where I started skipping. I would like, I would ditch yoga. <laughs> like, I'm, There were so many times where I felt like I was just at school, just ditching the class. It was, it was great. I was rebellious. But um, then I started to wonder, or actually, I think my dietitian brought it up. She's like, why are you not going to yoga? Like, I thought mm-hmm. you liked that kind of thing. I thought you'd like be super <laughs> in for whatever movement stuff. Cause that's all I used to complain about is that they wouldn't let us yeah. do anything. Um, and it started making me really realize like, because it's making me like notice myself in this really uncomfortable way.
1: It's so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just so interesting what it feels like to actually be completely present like in yourself and in the world. And it's like, I don't know, it's overwhelming sometimes.
1: It's so overwhelming and just, especially when you're first getting back into your body and like being present, it is so painful and I hated it. Like, and I still hate it most of the time. Um, but it's like, it's so painful because you're, you're forced to face all these feelings that you've been just escaping from or numbing
0: and like that. sucks (laughs) yeah oh yeah um what are things like like I don't know the more I talk about this topic with people and the more like I guess I've like thought and listened because I feel like I've been paying a lot more attention to what people say about this kind of thing now I just realized that it's not super super common to intentionally try and live in that kind of way which makes so much sense Mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel safe a lot of the time to do so yeah um but, what are other things that you think in like today's culture that make it make it difficult to do that to make that not like the norm
1: um, I think that quarantine is a very good example of how how our culture is just so bad at stopping and like sitting with things Ooh. um yeah i I've just been. I've been thinking about it a lot, obviously, because my job is super affected by um, by the pandemic, but also just witnessing and feeling like the sensation of everything stopping and we don't have our normal outlets and like distractions anymore besides maybe like social media and like our phones and computers and stuff. But like we're our culture is such a go, go, go culture that we never or maybe not never, but we rarely take the time to sit and just be, and we have so many distractions, even the, the whole, like, I don't know, the mindset that, that our culture has that, you know, we have to work, 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 and then when we're off, we play, 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 but a lot of times the playing isn't really, like, Being present in your body, it's other things to distract us um, from what's in front of us. I feel like that's just our culture was not built for being present and being in our bodies. We don't deal with discomfort well. Um, We don't deal with grief well and just we don't. Yeah, our culture was just not built for for being present in our bodies. It just wasn't. And so I think everywhere you look, you can see examples of that. Um, So it is really challenging. And it does feel very uncommon to see people intentionally living their lives as present as possible. Um, And so when when you first start that journey, it feels really lonely.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know. I remember when it all kind of came to me, or I remember when it all kind of like started to feel like it was coming together in this way during my time in treatment. That was like the whole entire process wasn't about food, but it was about being in my body and listening to my body and the relationship and the connection I have with myself. And when I realized that, I got really upset because I didn't want it to be that because that just feels really hard. And really, yeah. like, not, just not the normal way to go about. I don't know. I don't know. It just felt frustrating to me because I just wanted it to be this really quick, easy fix it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Give me a meal plan. Give me, like, yeah. what are the steps? Let's do it. And I was my plan going in there was, like, to be as disconnected as possible. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm just going to ignore everything about myself so that I can, like, do all this right and not have to deal with it so I can get out of here. And so yeah. I would ignore how my like I would avoid my body more than I ever have in my life at the beginning of my time there. Cause I didn't want to even like think about it. And I would avoid connections with the people there or can even connections with my therapist there at the beginning. And when all that started to like naturally not work, I kind of came to terms with the fact like that's actually what the whole entire thing is about. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It feels like a really lonely place to be. And it's scary because it's like, it's so, it's just present. Mm -hmm. Because I love to avoid as, as you and whoever knows me knows, I like to pretend everything's fine. Like what's, what pandemic? I don't know. There's no COVID. What is that? Just kidding. For those listening, I do know that COVID exists. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I just think this is such an important thing to talk about. And I'm really happy mm-hmm. that you wanted to talk about it with me on here because I know we've had conversations about it in the past. Yeah. And it's just important. It's super
1: important. And the more it's been really fun because I've written about some of my experiences and stuff and shared um, on social media and stuff. Um, and I it's been so interesting because... It feels really lonely and hard, but then when you talk about it, there's so many other people that that need to hear it and that need to see that they're not alone and that, you know, they read something and they relate to it or they, you know, I've had people who have messaged me and said, because of the things you've talked about with mental health and stuff, I'm going to go see a therapist for the first time mm-hmm. or they've just shared that they feel seen by what I've written or shared or that it like helped them see someone else's perspective or whatever. And it's really hard and lonely at first, but when you talk about it, it becomes less scary and it becomes less lonely because there's so many other people that are on that journey that you didn't even know were on that journey. Cause we all feel like we're on our own. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're in this little bubble of like our own experiences and stuff, but that's something really important is in healing from trauma or just learning to come back to our bodies is just talking about it because it, it, I, I think it just, it brings this connection with other people that is imperative for healing. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very beautiful. Beautifully said, and it reminds me of, um, in a different uh, podcast interview I was doing a couple days ago, we were talking about something similar to this, but with um, the deconstruction stuff, with like faith mm-hmm. and everything, and how at first, when you're doing that, it feels like the loneliest, scariest place to be. But oh, once, yes. Yeah, and it feels like it's just you, and everyone's on this one page, yeah. but we're over here thinking this way, and mm-hmm. that's it, but then when you start to talk about it, and be out there like it feels like you're like in no man's land but then you start to realize that there's all these other people out there in like the same exact boat as you are and then you kind of find your people and it's really cool
1: it is and then you realize I'm not the only person that's been wondering this or asking these questions or struggling with this idea that I've been taught my whole life like it's so I don't know I've been thinking a lot recently how like, isolation and disconnection are so dangerous, um, because it's just so hard to do life alone, and so when you talk about things, you, that, that disconnection, the isolation, like, loses its power on you, and you're able to, like, we're meant to live life with people, and together, and muddle through everything with, alongside each other, and so, um, yeah with the deconstruction, with trauma with like embodiment, with all of those things, it's so important to to be able to talk about it because then you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one, and that is so powerful
0: mm. yeah absolutely if if you were to tell somebody at the very beginning of their journey of like realizing they were not living at all connected to themselves and they started to ask questions mm. and wanted to look into that and just see what that world is what would you what would you tell someone at the beginning of that oh wow <laughs> um and you don't have to know the answer to that <laughs> no it's that's
1: a really good question um I think the biggest thing is just you're not alone like that's the that's what I wish I could have gone back and told myself in so many moments in my life like you're not alone and you'll you'll get there it's going to be the hardest thing in the world, but it is the most beautiful and rewarding thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming home to yourself is like, I feel like it's the point of life Um, and being able to, to hold space for feelings, the good ones, the bad ones. You can hold space. Like I didn't realize I could hold space for like joy and grief at the same time. Like that's, insane to me like I cannot wrap my mind around that but you you know when you come home to yourself you realize you have so much more space for all the feelings you have so much more space for your relationships with yourself and other people um and it's just about it's just about coming home and it's so hard but if you stick it out and you keep doing the work it it's going to be so amazing and beautiful and, um, and it's hard and it's scary and it sucks. And I've cried more in the last year than I've ever cried in my life. Um, but it's just so, so worth it for,
0: for all of it. It's all worth it. Mm. Wow. Kaylee, I have one... <laughs> One more question for you, okay? Mm-hmm. It's okay. a little bit of a um, different lane than we've been in. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Would you rather? Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm so bad at these questions. Oh, good. You're going to love it then. Um, this was my favorite thing to do during meals in, in res when I was <laughs> in training. <treatment. laughs> That's awesome. It was the best I could see you
1: loving these questions. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, (laughs) you should have been there. It was interesting. Um, Would you rather every single Sunday for the rest of your life at exactly 8 p.m. on the dot, a little seven-year-old boy will show up where you are, whether that's work, whether that's home, you're out with friends, pandemic's over, you're out raging, (laughs) he'll show up where you are, And he will have everything needed, all the supplies. He'll have a briefcase, and he'll have everything needed to play a game of Hangman. And he will sit across from you, and he will play you in Hangman, and you will try your absolute hardest to win, and you will lose every single time. And he is a complete asshole. He's such a douchebag, and he'll embarrass you in front of your friends. You'll always lose no matter what. Every Sunday for the rest of your life. Or... Or... (laughs) Would you rather... Every spare minute that you get, like, just kind of the times when you're just sitting there. Like, maybe, like, all the times when you would just kind of, like, mindlessly scroll through your phone or something. Being forced to play tic-tac-toe all the time. Sometimes you win and lose. It's just, like, you're putting all your effort into tic-tac-toe. So, any spare minute I have, yeah,
1: I would have to play tic-tac-toe. Yeah. Or a seven-year-old who's really mean will beat me in
0: Hangman. Yeah, he'll, like, show up no matter where you are. Every Sunday, he at ex- ex- Yeah, at exactly 8 p.m. So you'll be ready for him. Okay, so I feel like I would rather the
1: seven-year-old show up and play Hangman um, because I, I don't know, I feel like, so this is, <laughs> this is really thinking outside the box, maybe. <laughs> But I feel like in playing him and losing so many times, I would get really good at Hangman, and then I could play my friends and beat them.
0: Oh, well, that's a, that's a new take on it. No one's ever answered that way before. I like it. Yes, <laughs> I <really laughs> like it. All. No, and and then
1: I would have my other spare moments. Oh yeah. Plus, like, I don't know. It's kind I'm of not, entertaining. I'm not a sore loser, so I think I'd be okay. <laughs> like, I'd be like, all right, well, I still suck at <laughs> Hangman. <laughs> Nothing see you else next is weekend. new. Like. <laughs> See you next Sunday, usual time. Yeah, see you next Sunday. I'll lose again, but it's fine. I'll just have my
0: like hot cocoa ready Oh, and- <laughs> yeah. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Okay, very good to know. It says a lot about you. I love it. That's <laughs> my favorite answer you've given the whole the whole time. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> sort of stands right out. We
1: should just do an episode where all you do is ask me would you rather questions.
0: I have a lot of them. There was this girl um I hope I'm going to send her this episode just because she's going to love this. But there was this girl that I used to sit by in res at the beginning. um, And she would, she would, she loved my would you rather questions. She was young too. I think she was like 19. Mm -hmm. If I'm wrong and you're older than 19, I'm sorry. But she loved my would you rather questions. And so I would ask her them at all the meals because these were like painfully awkward, silent, Meals, like just try and imagine. Yeah. It was so, it was like nails on a chalkboard for a while. I was like, oh my god, yeah. someone say something, please. I believe uh, it. Yeah, and so I would ask these dumb "would you rather" questions that they were so random. It was just kind of like I start talking and I just wait to see what I'm gonna say. And when she stepped down to the next level of care, she ended up on the other side of the the wall. There were like two separate dining rooms, um, one for PHP the other for Res. So when she stepped down to PHP. I would every morning, because they would, PHP people would come in after res people for breakfast. So every morning, okay. right when I would get down there, I would write some random would you rather question on a sticky note, and I would run over next door, and I'd put it where she was going to be sitting. And she That's would awesome. take the whole day to think of the answer to this question, the whole day. And then she would finally come back to me at dinner and tell me what she got back to. I was like, That's
1: amazing. <laughs> that sounds like me with would you rather questions. Usually I'm like, okay, I need like, 10 minutes at least to think about it and then I have so many follow-up questions usually oh yeah like I'm usually asking for every detail and like trying to figure out what the right answer is and some of them I'm just like I don't want do I have to pick one that sounds terrible <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh no that's amazing I will ask you so many then in the days yes. to come it's gonna be great you're going to have a blast you're gonna love me so much
1: Okay, Um, I'm ready.
0: Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I kind of forgot we were recording for a second. (laughs) I was like, oh, and then another story from treatment. Uh, We'll have plenty of time to catch up. (laughs) Yes, yes. But thank you so much for being on this podcast. How can people get... I was gonna say, get a hold of you. Don't put your phone number on here. How? Can, <laughs> no, please don't call me. Um, oh my goodness. No. How can people, I guess, see your work and read and keep up with you on social yeah. media? Um, okay. Well,
1: first of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been super fun. I loved it. Um, and then I am on Instagram um, at Kaylee K A I L E Y four two four. <laughs> And then on Twitter, I am at Kaylee and.
0: Okay. It's amazing.
1: Like my, the first half of my last name.
0: Oh, I was <laughs> um, like, that's cool. Yeah, I, no, I don't know why I didn't Kaylee put my Ann. full last name. It
1: doesn't make sense. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I'm on there. And then I do also have a blog that I have not written on in a while, um, but it's KayleeAndrews.com, so it still exists, and I have a lot of things written on there. It's been, like, once a year that I write on it for the last couple years, I feel like, so I may not write on it very much, but um that's also something. I have a bunch of things that I've written on there, so people can see that, too. Awesome. But primarily Instagram at Kaylee424 and Twitter at KayleeAnd.
0: Amazing. I will put all that information yeah. in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. Thank you so much again, Kaylee, and I will see you and talk to you very soon. Yes, that sounds awesome. Thank you again for having me. Yes, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the unity project. If you want to get involved and support this podcast, then go to patreon.com slash Jackie G or if you want to read my story and get to know a bit more about my journey with this and how this podcast even came about and what my world has looked like as far as relationship with my body goes, then go check out my book, Finding Home. You can pick up a copy of that at JackieGronlin.com. I will put all this information in the show notes below and I will see you next time. Thank you.